This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Diving stop, Seager. Toss on up the first. In time to get seven. Three-run homer. Robinson can off the lefty specialist, Fernando Abad. And the Mariners lead it five to four. Goodbye, baseball. Straight away, center field. Cano and Cruz go back to back. And the King needed him the most. Two hits over now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Hey, welcome back. Seattle Mariners baseball podcast at Mariners pod on Twitter at Gary Hill Jr. on Twitter as well. Thanks for being back as the Mariners. They sweep aside the Detroit Tigers in four games. What a night at the ballpark last night. We're going to detail it all, but what a big win. And now attention turned to the Houston Astros for three. I haven't had a chance to say this in a while. Happy feet as the King takes the mound. Houston Astros. And Mariners playing some tremendous baseball right now. They sweep aside the Tigers. They've won five games in a row. Over 500 now on the season for the very first time this year. 10 of 13 at home. They have the best American League record since May 27th at 17-8. and eight. And, oh, yeah, Felix throws tomorrow. It is all good stuff for the Mariners right now. Offensively just rolling. Andrew Moore makes his Major League debut, so we'll get to that in a moment. It's a big podcast. You're going to enjoy it. Jason Churchill is back. It's been way too long. We have a fun conversation about the Mariners. And uh, so that comes up in a few minutes. You'll really enjoy that. Couple details before we dive into the game last night, and we'll do that in just a second. I have to throw out these reminders once in a while. I think we tweet that you can always download this podcast from iTunes. If you're new to it, you can find it all kinds of places Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play as well. Uh, anywhere else where you may want it, just let me know. I can usually get it posted. We do appreciate, very much appreciate, Ratings on iTunes and other places helps us, so please do that. You can also find it at the Mariners website, mariners.com. So here we go. Let's dive into the game last night. And by the way, this was the best bunch of titles for a podcast that I've had sent my way. This was a very difficult choice to decide what it was going to be because there were, there were some really good ones. Uh Adrian, again, what more can you ask for? That was a good one. That's not going to be the title, but I really enjoyed that one. Tiger by the Tail. Noah DuPont, thanks again. That's a good one. But I'm going to go with finally. Finally, because uh, it's double meaning, which is great. Nathan Elliott suggested it, and uh, Jason Churchill endorsed it by saying, finally, he's on the podcast, which is correct. Finally, he's on the podcast. So it's called Finally. And you can interpret it any way you prefer to. 
So let's dive into the matchup last night. Andrew Moore on the mound making his major league debut, and he was really good. A really solid first inning, picking up his first major league start. The lineup and the 2-2 and a swing and a miss and a fastball up and in for strike three. And Andrew Moore has his first strikeout of the major leagues as he fans Tiger catcher Alex Avila here in the top of the first inning for the second out of the ball game. Here on a Thursday night, June the 22nd, 2017, strikeout number one for Andrew Moore in the big leagues. How about that? Way to go, kid. And then the Mariners get to work offensively in the second inning as they start to pile up some runs in this one early. Here's the stretch. Runners their leads on the 2-0 pitch. Swinging a drive deep into the gap in right center field. And this one is going to be on the track and off the wall. Cruz running third. He'll score. Valencia to third. He's being waved in. The relay by Kinsler to the plate. Valencia slides. He's safe. And the Mariners have a 2-0 lead. A rare only one hit night for Ben Gamble, but that hit did a lot of damage, driving in a couple of runs as the lineup just sprinkled damage throughout. But one guy in particular really took it to the Tigers in this one, Robinson Cano, a monster night, and it started with a home run in the third. 2-1 pitch, Norris ready. Here comes a pitch, and pitch swung on, driven deep to right center field. Way back, way back, and it is gone. A two-run homer. Robinson Cano, his first since June 6th. And the Mariners' lead has been extended to 5-1 to one here in the third for Robbie. Home run number 12, RBIs 43 and 44. 5-1 to one in the third inning. The Tigers would get a couple more in the fifth, so things tighten up a little bit. A 5-3 ball game, but... Moore, man, you can't ask for more than he did in this one. Hangs a zero on the board in the sixth and also does it again in the seventh. Really impressive. Going seven innings in this, six hits, three runs, no walks, four strikeouts, gave up a home run and does it on 100 pitches, does his job and does it well. The list is really short of Mariners, uh, who have made their major league debut as a starter and gone seven-plus innings. He becomes just the ninth Mariner to do it, and it hasn't happened very often in recent days. Blake Bevin, the last one to do it in 2011, and it's been years since before that. Jim Converse in 93, and then you have to go back to the 80s. Clint Zaveras in 89, Eric Hansen. Terry Taylor in 1988, Mark Langston in 84, Matt Young in 83, and Enrique Romo in 1977. They're the only ones to do it, to go 7-plus in a start. Moore is the only one to go 7-plus in their Major League debut without giving up a base on balls. I mean, that is an extremely short list. A fun. That's how impressive... Last night was for Moore. He ends up with the win, gets a major league league win in his first major league start. Mariners in the seventh inning, bottom of the seventh, after Moore was done with his work, they extend things. It was Robinson Cano again. And a 1-0 to Cano. Swung on and driven deep. Right center field. High, majestic drive. That ball is out of here. A grand slam. Nine 
over Detroit here in the seventh. A two-home run night for Robbie Kevin in six. That ties a career-high six RBIs. Once he did it as a Yankee against the Mariners, now he's doing it for the Mariners, driving in six runs, a monster night for Cano. Two home runs, scored a couple of runs, drove in six. The Mariners extend the lead, but uh, Max make his Major League debut. Things didn't go as well for him as it did for Moore. Two-thirds of an inning, Allows three earned runs on four hits. Diaz was down after pitching three in a row. Ciszek is on to try and close it out. That's exactly what he did. The set by Ciszek. And the swing and a miss strike three. It's over. The Mariners win it nine to six over the Tigers. The Mariners have won five in a row. They have swept the Tigers in the four game series. Holy smokes and what a night. The Mariners win it for Andrew Moore in his major league debut. His first major league win in his first major league start goes seven strong innings. Gives up three runs six hits did not walk a batter struck out four. Andrew Moore a sensational debut tonight for the Mariners game one of the big leagues and for the very first time the Mariners get over 500 on the season the Mariners now with a record of 38 and 37 on the year big win for the M's and maybe the most important number of this series is the damage the Mariners did to the Tigers bullpen shredded the Tigers bullpen in nine and two-thirds innings 14 earned runs a 13.03 ERA was allowed from the Tigers pen as the Mariners just went to work in the late innings extended leads took leads and sweeps the Detroit Tigers such a big series win. Houston is up next we'll talk about that in a second but first let's hear from the skipper after the win yeah, it was a it was a heck of a uh, debut. You know, you can't say a whole lot more. Um, what an effort! Um, it's kind of what we've seen out of Andrew Moore since the day he put a, a Mariners jersey on. I think people at Oregon State saw the same thing, and probably at his high school. So I, it's just got a way about him. His mound presence, very, very good, very uh, in charge, uh, just attacking all the time. And you know, his stuff's not going to wow you, but his pitchability, uh, moving the fastball around. Uh, some breaking balls early in the game with a changeup later in the game, which which really helped get the line, through the lineup one more time. Uh, I thought Zanino too, but I can't say enough for a rookie to come up uh, on a night that our bullpen was going to be thin, and we're going to let him ride. You know, he's thrown 100 pitches a couple different times this year, so he looked like he had plenty left in the tank, and you know, it was awesome to get him get us through seven innings there. So um, again. A big, big night for him. The guys are celebrating a little bit with him right now, so it's all good. Okay, see any sign from him that he like his major league debut? I mean, it looked like he's been. Yeah. Of all the young players I've seen come to the big, I mean, it probably was as confident in him tonight and what he would give us. I didn't know he'd go seven, but I know he'd be very competitive and hopefully, you know, get us through five and, and it wouldn't be in awe of the moment, I guess. You know, it's, it's every little kid's dream when he gets to the, you know, to get to the big leagues. And then, you know, as a starting pitcher, there's a little bit more focus put on you uh, than just a position player. So, um, he handled it great and excited for him. Like I said, going to the changeup, I thought really helped. He threw a few more changeups and later in the game, um, and you know he, he pitches inside enough. Uh, he elevates the ball when he has to. Um, it's it's uh, you know, and, and they put some good swings. I mean, he is going to give up hits. He's going to give up homers. He's he's human, you know. But uh, and he doesn't throw at 100 miles an hour. But uh, he, he just keeps competing and makes adjustments. He reads the bat very well too. Uh, what hitters are trying to do against him and then reacts off of that. So 
That's it's something. It's it's you know you hope you can teach guys that. It's great when you have it when you're as young as he has, and uh, he's had it for his whole life. He got ahead in a lot of counts today. Was that pretty encouraging to see out of a guy to debut? That's the key. He even said it last night. You know, you got to get ahead. I said, yeah, in this league you do. Once you get in those three-one, you know, two-zero counts, they're not going to miss the heater. And uh, you know, he did fall behind a little bit. The home run to Kinsler. He was behind in the count and, and he paid for it. But um, again, awesome effort by him. You talked to, touched on it before the game a little bit, but with all you guys have been through this season to be one game above 500 at this point. And Really proud of our guys. Yeah, there was certainly, uh, we, we did have some low points, um, and there probably will be a few more along the way when you lose a few in a row. But, uh, you know, I, when I've talked with our guys and challenged them, they have responded. And uh, our team has really come together, I think, over the last three weeks. Um, you know, when you bring in a lot of new faces, and we did, even though we, you know, we had a, a decent run at the end of last year, we still had a lot of new guys on our roster. And it takes a while for guys to get comfortable playing with each other, screwing around with each other in the, in the, in the clubhouse, traveling. It just, and our teams really come together, which is, is great to see. Um, guys are enjoying each other and letting their personalities come out, which is something I'm a big proponent of. You said in the past you can't always rely on that middle core, but when it happens... Yeah, now, big night for Robbie, uh, no doubt, and he was due. Uh, I think he was, <laughs> he doesn't like everybody else getting all the attention. <laughs> he wants to get all the attention. And certainly tonight, offensively, he carried the load for us with a couple big homers. So, uh, you know, very talented player. He's had a great career. Uh, you know, he can go hitless or, or not look great up there for a few days, but it usually doesn't last too long with him. Hey, Posey got too quick out and then just couldn't. Yeah, you know, we uh, when we got the grand slam, we quickly wanted to get him up and in the game. And he was loose. He got in the game, and he was firing it pretty well. I just think he, he found out, too, when you have a hard time landing that secondary pitch. Uh, you know, it's a really good curveball to Kinsler to punch him out. After that, he had a hard time getting to it. And, uh, you know, they put some good at-bats on him. But um, I liked what I saw. Uh, it's going to take him some time to get comfortable here. And he's got a few things to work on, like like they all do. But uh, I like what I saw. It's, it's a big physical and I thought he went right after him. You know, he just got some balls up in the play, on the middle of the plate, late in counts, and they didn't miss him. C-Shack, there you go. You went to Shadow before. Yeah, really, really happy with Steve. Uh, I know uh, when we first brought him back, uh, maybe wasn't at 100% yet. Thought he could help our club. But you could kind of tell how the ball was coming out of his hand. Didn't have the same life uh, on a sinking fastball. And the last couple timeouts, it's been much, much better. I thought tonight was the best it's been all year for him. And uh, we need him. You know, and you know he's saved, but he's closed games out before. And you know, going into the game tonight, that's where we were leaning. And you know, nine to three, I didn't think we'd need him, but you know, he stepped up when we did need him. So, how about Andrew Moore? His first major league start in the books. He gets a win. The Mariners get a win. How did it feel? That was unbelievable. Like I said out there, it felt like it was. Uh, I blinked and it was over. It absolutely flew by. But uh, I mean, that was pretty special, just the way. Um, you know, we kind of took that last punch where they started coming back, and then uh, Tony came in and made some huge, huge pitches. Uh, the run support, the play G made out there, I mean, it was a solid team win overall. How about your effort? How do you grade it? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, fastball command was good. Um, curveball wasn't very sharp, so we were mostly sticking to slider. Uh, and then right there at the end, those last two innings went to change up a lot. Um, with a righty-heavy lineup, we didn't throw a lot of them early, but... I uh, knew we had it in our back pocket if we needed it, so uh, that was big to get me those uh, quick last two innings. And you've been pitching for a long time. Did you feel a little different? I mean, what was the, what was the... <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think once uh, that first pitch, then the nerves kind of went away. But before that, uh, definitely a little bit amped up. Um, it wasn't too bad before the game. Um, but, yeah, once, uh, <laughs> once they threw in the first pitch, that was, um, that was pretty cool.
Has it sunk in for you know first big league game, first victory, all, all that stuff? Is it? <laughs> no, not yet. Uh, still kind of feels surreal, but um, I mean these guys did a great job of making sure I was calm. Like I said out there, Kyle made a few mountain visits that were big, just making sure I composed myself. Um, that's something I've struggled with, where I have the quick pace, but sometimes I try and go too quick, and then things start going bad, and I try to go even faster, and uh, just kind of spirals out. So that was big of him to come out there and um, you know just have me take another breath and uh, execute pitches. Just step back at any point during the game, kind of look around, or you just stay zoned in. <laughs> uh, before the game, I was able to appreciate it a little bit, um, but yeah, once the game started, was pretty locked in. Uh, once I came out, that was cool going out there and. Um, cheering on Posey for his big league debut. That was awesome for him. Uh, getting both of us on the same day was pretty cool. A lot of first pitch strikes today. We're pretty, pretty happy they're Canaan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was, that was the key is just staying in good counts. Um, obviously, the Kinsler uh, just got in a fastball count, and um, he beat me on that one. You just got to tip your cap. But um, and that's what they said is just you know, stay in good counts, make pitches, and um, that's the name of the game. All right, there it is. Mariners get the win over the Tigers, 9-6. to The final, they sweep aside Detroit, and they'll take their winning streak into the weekend to take Houston Astros. And if you look at the Mariners now, the best record in the American League since May 27th, 17-8. Well, who has the second-best record in the American League? Of course, the Houston Astros at 16-8, and right behind the M's. Now at 50 wins on the season, they just swept aside Oakland in four games to start their road trip. The weekend looks like this, 7-10 tonight, Felix back on the mound. Boy, that's going to be a fun sight to see against Joe Musgrove, 4-6, 5-0-9 ERA. Sam Gavilio takes the hill on Saturday. Lance McCullers activated off the DL, and that's been the story for Houston the last couple of weeks, four starters on the disabled list all of a sudden. I mean, joining the Mariners in that regard. McHugh has been on all season long. Keuchel has been on with really no timetable now as he's dealing with the neck. Morton's starting to make his way back, and McCullers now back. McCullers only missed uh, 10 days. He missed essentially the minimum, so he didn't miss much time. But he's having a great year, 6-1, and one, two five eight ERA. Mariners have already seen him once. And then Miranda on Sunday, 110 first pitch against Brad Peacock, who's been really important for them and a long roll for most of the season, but now pushed in the rotation. He's having a nice year, 4 and 1 with a 2.82 ERA. A couple of quick notes about the Astros coming in. They've played great baseball all year. I mean, 50 wins. They have played uh, they've played great and their offense has been churning. They've really been stroking the ball, but George Springer yesterday in Oakland got hit on the wrist, and it sounds like he got knocked out of the game, first at bat of the ball game. Sounds like he could miss the entire weekend. So that would be a big loss for Houston this weekend. Also, it's a little thing, but something that could come into play. Houston actually led yesterday 10-0 over the A's after the second inning, but Oakland came back one in the fifth two in the sixth a six run eighth and they at least forced the A's to go or forced Houston rather to go to Davinsky to try and close it out and that's exactly what he did what's interesting about that Davinsky threw three days in a row the 17th 18th and 19th had two days off and then had to pitch again yesterday so it could come into play that the A's forced him into the ball game yesterday and maybe the Mariners will see him Maybe one less time in a series, which is a good thing. We'll see. 
I don't know. Uh, he closed it out, got the save, struck out three. But the less you can see of Davinsky, the better. They're kind of relief ace. So that could be a factor as well. So just a couple of quick notes. The Astros ended up winning yesterday 12-9, to pounding out 13 hits as they just continue to hammer the baseball everywhere. Should be a fun weekend. See you at Safeco Field tonight. Felix Hernandez on the hill. As now, let's turn our attention to Jason Churchill. Finally. Well, this is a conversation I'm really looking forward to. It has been too long. Jason Churchill is with us. Hero Sports, heroesports.com. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter, at Prospect Insider. Uh, Jason, it has been a long time. Thanks so much for coming on. And, uh, boy, it's been too long. It has. Good to talk to you, Gary. Appreciate it. So <laughs> there's about a thousand different places to start, but let's start with kind of the state of the union. I mean, you've seen what has developed this season, all the injuries, particularly with the starting rotation. Uh, and here they are uh, at 500 in the mix and really is a wide open American league. When you look at the wild cards, when you look at the Mariners right now, what is your state of the union? Where are the Mariners at right now? in about as good a position as you could possibly expect them to be. I know that's not very insightful because that's pretty much the norm around baseball and around the industry about where Seattle is right now, considering what they've been through. Drew Smiley was supposed to be the number two or number three starter, hasn't pitched yet, and we really don't know for sure when that's going to happen. I still have my doubts that it's actually ever going to happen. When he goes out on a rehab, I'll start to buy it. Um, it, it's pretty remarkable, and it's not just the pitching either. Gene Segura's missed, you know, roughly half the season. Uh, Mitch Haniger missed more than a month. You know, I, I think some of that that bad luck with the injury uh, has been made up for by somebody like a Ben Gamble who's come out and you know he's in 350 and was obviously terrific in, in in the Tigers game on on Wednesday night with a couple of great late at bats, uh, one of them against Justin Verlander, kind of get the M's going there. Um, so some of that's been made up, but, you know, not many teams out there can say they've been through what they've been through and find themselves at 500 and right on the brink of a wild card spot in late June. Boy, to me, you touched on what I think has been the story of the season, the production they've managed to get from Gamble, Hanniger, and Heredia, not only offensively, but they've been so good defensively. This outfield transformed very quickly, and I think it has made a huge impact. Are you surprised by how good the outfield has been, especially those three rookies? A, a little bit. Uh, certainly, Gamble is a pretty big surprise. Coming into the year, I thought Guillermo Heredia, while limited upside, you're not going to get the, the 300 averages, you know, the, the power, the, the consistent offense from him, but you know, can run the bases, play defense, is a versatile defensively too, can play all three spots. I thought Heredia was more ready to help than Gamble was, so I certainly wasn't surprised by Gamble being shipped down to Tacoma to start the year. Surprise-wise, you know, he might be number one in all of baseball, you know, for the season, but in terms of that outfield, I'm not sure a whole lot else is really all that surprising. I mean, Mitch Hanniger's actual numbers might be a little bit surprising, although it's in a somewhat of a small sample. Um, but collectively, I think we knew they were going to play defense. We knew that really all four of those guys could play, um, you know, anywhere in the outfield. I mean, you could even play Hanniger in center and not really worry that he's going to hurt you, you know, in a short stint. So, you know, having that defense and having all-around games, I mean, that was the point, get more athletic. And we're seeing that work. I mean, Gamble flying around the bases uh, on Cano's double, 
on Wednesday night was terrific against Detroit. Um, you know, just you know, imagine that being Seth Smith. Like, not only does he not score on that play, he's probably held up at third halfway between second and third. Like, the, the, there's, like, no chance that Manny Act is even thinking of sending a guy like Seth Smith there. So uh, they've upgraded in so many ways in that outfield, and it's, it's not just offensively and, and it's not just defensively. It's certainly on the bases as well, and, and I think all four of those guys actually are candidates to, hey, you know what, if we absolutely need a bunch or we absolutely need a fly ball, those guys are better at it than last year's group too. So DePoto's done a, a great job with that outfield, and, and I think it's bleeding over a little bit um, throughout the organization. We're seeing more athleticism. We're seeing uh, the player development staff teach some of these kids to play and get them ready um, but, you know, that outfield, Gary, it, 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 uh, and I'm certainly glad you brought it up because when DePoto came to Seattle, I think the only one thing that I was convinced of that DePoto would be good at is avoiding the overspend for relief pitchers. He doesn't believe in that. We certainly haven't seen him do it with the Mariners. We didn't see him do it with the Angels. They didn't do it a whole lot in Arizona when he was there in several roles. Um, he likes building from within and making value deals there. The one thing I wasn't sure of, can he go out and actually make deals for value? And that's pretty much all he's done mm-hmm. in Seattle in his you know, year and a half. And that outfield is a perfect example, revamping that at such a short period of time. It's one of the better things, the more impressive things that any general manager leading up to this season has done across baseball. This is probably a tough question. We're not even to the all-star break yet, and there's still a lot of baseball left to be played. But if we're talking about the Mariners in September being right there in the playoff chase, what has to happen for this team to be in that position the rest of the way? I think the starting rotation does have to get, you know, stabilized. And and I'm not sure exactly how that happens, to be honest with you. I I don't – as much as I don't want to bet against a guy like Felix Hernandez, I just don't know that, that Felix's individual approach to, to what he has and what he is right now is actually going to work for him in the short or long term. So I'm concerned about um, the expectation um, Felix of himself, the team of Felix, um, certainly the fan base of getting Felix back. Um, I'm not sure what we're really going to see from him once he does get back. Iwakuma, does he come back? Uh, Smiley, again, does he actually come back at all? Um, so I don't know how they get stabilized, but I think that's really important. I think that's one of the reasons why they called up Andrew Moore this week. Um, and, and I don't believe that's going to be a short-term thing. I think they've, they've used him in the minors the way that they plan to use him at the major league level in so many ways in terms of development and you know where they're comfortable with him in certain situations i think he's you know he's an upgrade to sam gavilio he's an upgrade to at least the present version of yvonne Guiardo, which is obviously why they made that move um to stabilize it enough for me to feel comfortable that this is probably one of the better four or five teams in the american league they probably have to go out and acquire somebody but if we see a surprise or two, just like we have with, with Mitch Hanniger and, and, and Ben Gamble, we see a surprise or two. Maybe Andrew Moore's a little better than I think he's going to be. Maybe they do get all of that from within. I think the one place they're going to have to go outside the organization is that bullpen. There's just not enough reliable late-inning arms. I mean, even Edwin Diaz has electric stuff. I mean, we've all seen it. It doesn't take a rocket science to tell. A guy's up to 100 miles an hour. Uh, the slider's pretty good, but he's inconsistent as well. And when he's out there, you know, even throwing 98, 99 miles an hour, you're still a little concerned that he's going to walk the bases loaded and give up the one hit of the game that actually loses it. So I, I think they need to stabilize the pitching staff as a whole. They'll have an opportunity to go out on that trade market 
and do something in the relief world. And I think they probably need two arms. But uh, that, that starting rotation is probably going to concern me for the entire season. And it's just because of all the unknowns, particularly with some of the older players that have injury issues right now. And you mentioned Andrew Moore. I was really excited when the Mariners draft him. I saw him pitch at Oregon State, and I was always really impressed when I saw him. Uh, just his presence on the mound, the way he manipulates the strike zone, the way he goes after hitters, it's all really impressive. You've obviously followed him very closely in the minors. For people who have never seen him before, what, uh, what, what should they expect to see from Andrew Moore this season? I think the first thing that comes to mind is he's one of those bulldog kind of pitchers. He's not going to win with just pure stuff. He's going to win with, hey, I know how to use my fastball. And I think that's the most impressive thing about him. He's only going to be 89 and 92. He's got some life up in the zone, so you'll see him use the entire strike zone. He's very smart with that and always has been ever since the first time I saw him at Oregon State. Uh, he has the curveball and the changeup, but he really sets everything up really well with what really is an average fastball in terms of velocity. But there is some sync to it when he keeps it down, and he really needs those two options, being able to get life up in the zone and sink down in the zone because he's, he's a guy that's 5'11", 6 feet tall, and, and you know, tops out at 92. Um, but we've seen pitchers you know, here in Seattle and everywhere around baseball have success that way. We've seen some of the guys that have come up in the minors this year have success with less than, you know, plus fastballs. Uh, the, the one comparison that, that, that I'm always reminded of is one that a, that a Blue Jays cross-checker gave me a couple of years ago, the year Moore was drafted. Maybe he can be Marco Estrada. Hmm. And if that's the ceiling for him, I think you probably take that and run with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, a guy that doesn't throw real hard, but has a pretty good changeup. And if the curveball improves enough and he keeps his command developing, um, you know, he's going to be a guy who can give you 180 to 200 innings, you know, somewhere in the middle of that rotation. He's more of a back-end guy in terms of stuff. But if some of that stuff plays up enough because he's just really smart at using it and commands them really well and can throw all three pitches for strikes like he's done in the minor leagues this season, you know, he's one of those guys that can eat some innings, and that's absolutely what they need. Maybe to take a little burden off of, you know, some of those relievers that are coming in in the fifth and sixth innings. When you look at the American League right now, I mean, it's wild. you got the Astros that have been head and shoulders, but... Standings in the National League. I've never seen anything like it, Gary, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I, I was asking some of the guys that are a little more, uh, uh, you know, they cover the NBA a little closer. You know, we certainly don't see something like that in the NFL with a short schedule, but, you know, pretty much everybody in the American League is in it. Maybe the Oakland A's are not, but even the Royals are back in it now because they're hovering around 500. But you look in the National League, and the Cubs are the closest team that's currently out of a playoff spot and they're eight and a half out of that playoff spot. They're closer in their division than they are at the wild card, but that is remarkable. Everybody else behind the Cubs too is double digits behind the wild card leaders. So, you know, it, it's really interesting to kind of look at how those two leagues are. And I'm almost wondering to myself, are we basically going to see a load of national league teams sell their veteran players to um, a load of American League teams. It's like we're almost going to see like a transfer situation here from one league to the other. That absolutely could happen because you're right. It's so bunched up. I mean, Houston has the big lead in the West. Everybody else in the West is within, you know, five, six games of each other. And, and the, the Angels, the Rangers, and the Mariners are right there a game or two apart. I think Seattle on, on Wednesday night um, past both the Angels and the Rangers mm -hmm. um, by winning that game. And uh, Toronto's right there. Kansas City's right there. Uh, I'm expecting Cleveland to, you know, hold on to their league in the Central. I have no idea what's going to happen in the East. I think three teams at the top 
you know, certainly makes some sense. But you're right. It, it's weird. I've never seen anything like it at this point in the season. That's usually stuff that we see in April and early May. By now, you know, you get that third, fourth week in June, generally we start to see some separation and we're really not seeing it right now. So I understand that, you know, there are fans out there wondering, well, who's going to actually sell to you if you're a team that's buying? Well, maybe most of the National League is who's going to sell to you at this point because the American League may not be much of a seller at all. And it's interesting, too, because you start to look at the schedule and a series like Detroit, it becomes that much bigger when you don't have that many cracks at teams in the Central and and you don't have that many games with teams in the East. And you just don't know who you're going to be battling with down the stretch when one game can make a difference. Well, it just looks like these every American League series the rest of the way will be important. Yeah, which is, you know, I'm not sure that's good for a team that's short on pitching, to be honest with you. Like like Seattle is. Seattle is going to be one of those teams where they have some depth. How good is that depth? Maybe we'll find out. Bullpen and starring rotation. And while it's been good enough to this point, um, wouldn't it be nice if Seattle had a three- or four-game lead in that wild card right now rather than, hey, we're a game and a half back and we're the first team behind the wild card leaders right now because that's what they're clinging to you know, after three or four games in this, this Tiger series and moving forward, you, you know, the team's certainly not thinking about that, but fan bases certainly are, the media types certainly are. But where could they have been if they'd have been a little healthier and maybe had Smiley from the start or if Felix wouldn't have got hurt or maybe if they'd have called up Andrew Moore. People are going to be second-guessing. I'm certainly thinking, hey, I don't think necessarily think Andrew Moore was ready a month ago, but what if he was – and if they called him up, would they have won another game? Because in the end, you're right, Gary, everybody is so bunched up and every game is going to mean so much moving forward beyond the trade deadline into August and September. And maybe we're going to get one of those situations where it comes down to the last day of the season where a game in April could have actually made that particular difference. You know, Seattle fans certainly don't want to see that happen. You know, the front office in Seattle certainly doesn't want to see that happen, but um, and, you know, they are where they are right now. And, you know, handling that going forward as, as a, you know, I don't envy a guy like Scott Service and his staff in a situation like this. You do have enough veterans in that clubhouse to not worry about them, you know, kind of freaking out and, and stressing themselves out and overthinking situations. But you do have enough inexperience that's in your lineup on a regular basis, uh, particularly in big game situations that you prefer that it didn't come down to that. If, if you can avoid that, you certainly want to do so. But that, that's what the advent of the second wild card was for. And, and, and in that case, it's working. I don't like, I'm not sure how you feel about this, Gary. It's interesting. I don't like the one game wild card playoff, but I, I do like the result of that being um, that second wild card being there for you know teams because it has done its job and and i wish there was a better way around that that uh, that one gamer but you know there's not and it's keeping so many teams interested that you know you call around a fan base and you look on twitter there are 18 20 fan bases right now that are excited about their baseball teams and you know maybe none more than than this particular group here in, in seattle i think we're hearing a lot more belief in this team from uh, uh, from fans than in years past, um, even with just a 500 record, just considering where they are. Um, so it's pretty exciting to see from, from all angles. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of looking forward to September, to be honest with you. I wish we could just fast forward and everybody could be where they are right now. Let's just get to September in this particular situation, and it will be difficult not to feel good about where the Mariners are. No, I'm right there with you. I love the second wild card, but getting bounced in one game, that's a tough pill to swallow. I, I right, your reward, yeah, like right. your reward is if you don't play All well season. for this one game. Yes, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, and, and, and I think my biggest beef with that is, you know, it, you could get a hot pitcher. Let's say the Mariners are one of those teams, and, 
you know, James Paxson's your best pitcher, and, you know, maybe you moved him up a day because you needed to win. You needed to win on that final day of the regular season, that Sunday, and so you moved Paxton up a day because that was your best chance to win, and you win that game, and now your best pitcher's not available not only for the wild card game, but at least the first divisional game as well. It really puts the, the emphasis on winning the division, which, yes. you know, at this point like. isn't really something that's, uh, that's really plausible for anybody else in the American League West except Houston. So uh, I do like, though, that it does keep everybody involved. So in the end, you know, yeah, I was wrong. I didn't like it at first, but I was wrong. It's working. It's doing its job, and, and whatever's best for baseball, that's what we need to like. So I want to get a quick thought on the draft from you. Mariners uh, just completed the draft. And particularly, I'm interested in your thoughts on the second-round pick. From all accounts, they did pretty well with Sam Carlson. Yeah, uh, it's an approach that I was kind of hoping they'd take more in, in the past under Jackson Rendick and, and Tom McNamara. And, and I'm not sure where that decision-making came from because I was always a guy who believed in McNamara and his staff in terms of evaluating and, and identifying players. Um, I'm not so sure that the entire organization player development scouting and the front office itself kind of being on the same page in terms of what players we need what players work for us what players we, we don't have right now um and 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 they took the the in my opinion the perfect approach to a draft like this basically i don't want to say punting on every other pick other than the first two picks but almost and and, and i think it'll make sense here you get the best player you can at 17 and then your second round pick comes around you get the best player you can and a guy like sam carlson the right-hander the rest of your draft again don't want to say it doesn't matter because i actually like their fifth round pick the catcher out of long beach state david Benuelos. I, I like some of their guys billy cook the kid out of coastal carolina but if you can get two guys that project as re a regular and evan white whether it's at first base or in the outfield and a guy who could end up being like a number two starter for you up to 97 and, and at worst has a floor of being a closer type, a high leverage reliever in Sam Carlson, you have to take that advantage instead of trying to stay within your pool for each pick. And that really seems like for the most part, that's what they did before this season. And, and it was refreshing to see them take the best guy on the board. They all did their homework. They knew they could get him signed. And they really out, you know, worked really, not really outsmarted. They really outworked the majority of the clubs drafting ahead of them between their 17th pick and when they picked in the second round. Um, he got, you know, uh, Carlson getting, what, $2 million? Mm -hmm. They had to do some things to save that money, and as soon as they had the opportunity to take Carlson, they took him, and then in the third and fourth, I mean, those ensuing rounds, you could see exactly what they were doing. Let's make sure we have enough money in our bonus pool to sign Carlson because we're talking about a first-round talent. So in a year where they didn't draft real high, as opposed to some of the recent years where they're drafting second and third and fifth and, you know, 12th or 13th, they were picking lower in the draft. They still got two first-round pick talents out of it in Evan White and Sam Carlson. I, I couldn't be more excited for the Seattle Mariners in, in, in this situation. I believe I tweeted out at the time, this is the most excited I've been about their first two picks since they didn't have a first-round pick at all and ended up taking Tywon Walker at number 43 and then getting Marcus Littlewood with their next pick. And that was way back in 2010. So, And this is a team that's had top 10 picks um, almost every year since then. And this, I think, is the best job they've done at maximizing their top picks and getting the two first-round talents out of it. Um, being willing to do that 
and kind of understanding what that process is and what it takes leading up to that tells me they were prepared for anything and that they did all of their homework from area scout all the way through up um, through you know Scott Hunter, the, the the scouting director, and and all the way through Jerry Depoto, kind of understanding what the how the draft might turn out, and being prepared for it. It's one of those things, and I say this all the time. Teams nowadays have to keep one eye on their talent board and another eye on their bonus pool board, and I don't think anybody worked at any better than Seattle did this year. Well, Mariner fans should love to hear that. Jason, great stuff as always. I know you have a good piece up at Prospect Insider on the trade deadline, which is coming up, of course. The people can follow you on Twitter, mm-hmm. at Prospect Insider. And before you go, tell us uh, real quick about uh, your new venture at Hero Sports. Hero Sports, we're, we're a national uh, sports website. Um, we cover, you name it, we cover it. Um, we've just ventured into professional sports over the last six months. We've got a really good group here in the office over on the east side in Bellevue. Um, there's a uh, really good flavor of college sports uh, mixed in with the pro sports, and we're just kind of getting started. Uh, you know, we're one of those startups in year three, and we're kind of following some uh, some footprints of what Bleacher Report has done over the last several years, maybe what SB Nation and Fanside have done, and we're just kind of pointing ourselves in a certain direction, kind of seeing where it takes us at this point. But uh, uh, there's some pretty good stuff here. We covered the MLB draft. Uh, we covered the NFL draft. And we're kind of getting prepared now for college football season. We have some really good NBA guys on staff that are covering free agency and, and Thursday night's NBA draft. So um, it's, been, uh, it's been pretty exciting. It's taken me away from Prospect Insider quite a bit over the last year. But um, – you know, it, it, it's always fun for somebody like me who's a baseball guy first, but still has a passion for college basketball and certainly the NFL and, and college football to kind of jump on uh, kind of jump on those sides. So uh, this particular opportunity gave me a look at the other side. You know, I spent five years at ESPN and a couple of years at CBS kind of seeing the corporate side of, you know, how sports media works on a national level. Now I'm kind of on the inside and I'm saying, wait a second, wait a second. This doesn't work. Let's do something else. And people are actually listening, Gary. And that's really <laughs> exciting, actually, uh, for me over here at Hero Sports. So check us out, heroesports.com. We pretty much cover everything. And what's great is you can always get a hold of an editor if you want to. If you didn't like something, if you like something, if you want more of something or less of something, you can always get a hold of one of our staff editors, including myself here at Hero Sports. So it's been a lot of fun. Well, I kept you longer than I promised, but I could talk baseball with you for hours. So I certainly appreciate your time. Let's do this again soon. You got it, Gary. One of these days, we'll just talk baseball for hours. See you later!